time you can hang out. Sometime. I love you. Number 27 is, O oh, worship the King. I realize we've gathered together today to bring honor and glory to the Lord God himself. And let's sing that unto him. O oh, worship the King, number 27. O oh, worship the King. All glorious above and gratefully sing his wonderful love, our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilion in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of his might, oh. Take up our Bibles for our scripture reading and open them to Proverbs chapter 11. Please follow along as Sean reads verses 16 through 19. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 16 A gracious woman retaineth honor, a strong man retains riches. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. Amen. As righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth to his own death. We consider the songs we sing and whether they're biblically correct or not, and that one surely is. How many of you think how great our Lord is who plucked me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock you know that's a different song but this one's similar to that with tender hand he lifted me I would say Shane's favorite verse probably 
was, <clears throat> as we sang, verse 2, before my sinful heart was stirred. I'm sorry, verse 2. <laughs> he called me long before I heard, before my sinful heart was stirred. But when I took him at his word, forgiven, he lifted me. It's true. He had a plan for you and for me before the foundation of the world. It's true. What a wonderful truth we find in some of our songs and also, more importantly, in the Word of God. Let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and I'll read verses 6 through 10, our text for the day, and we'll pray together and ask God to guide us. Galatians 6, 6, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that it is true from cover to cover and that this text applies to us. May we learn the meaning of it today and then pl apply these truths to our lives. May we be those who plant that which is honoring and glorifying to you spiritually that you would use us in this world around us and Father God that we would not plant to the flesh I pray in Jesus name Amen Last week our sermon in Galatians was in chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 where we developed two commands one was, bear ye one another's burdens, remember? And the other, in verse 5, was, every man shall bear his own burdens. It may seem like a conflict or a contradiction in the Bible, but of course, this preacher had to address that false notion. There are no conflicts or contradictions in the Bible, for there are none it is all inspired of God, inerrant, and infallible. Every word of these 66 books are true and perfect. Every word is perfectly inspired by God the Holy Spirit, and every word is plenarily or equally inspired. His words are pure words, and his word is truth. Psalm 12, verse 6, and John 17, 17. We discovered in our text last week that there is an apparent paradox, though, here between the burdens in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, especially verses 2 and 5. <clears throat> and burdens in verse 2 is baras in Greek, and burden in verse 5 is fortion. So they're different words, and that was a clue to us. Verse 2, the burdens, or baras, is a weight or a load. And baras even sounds like our wheelbarrow, doesn't it? It does. 
That's kind of the idea. In an understandable way, we are to be helpful to our other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, the church. I'm glad that many of you practice that. You help lift others' burdens. Lynn and Ike yesterday helped Tom with a burden. And many of you do those kinds of things to be like wheelbarrows, I guess. I don't know if you want to be called that, but to be like wheelbarrows, enlighten or lift a load that they are cumbered down with. Some are burdened with physical needs, like Tom. Others are crushed under financial burdens. Some may be oppressed by emotional difficulties with memories and nightmares. A brother or sister may be afflicted with fear and anxiety of the unknown in their lives. Life is hard. It really is. But God has not left us alone. I'm glad for that. He has made our load lighter in this world. Jesus Christ said that we should cast our care upon him for he cares for us. He is always there. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And a favorite among many of us is Romans 8, starting at verse 35 today. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? Verse 38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. I think the Apostle Paul was trying to say, in every way, <laughs> no one shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm glad for that. We're not left alone. Surely that ought to be enough, that God will never leave us nor forsake us, and he loves us no matter what. That is divinely sufficient. And more than that, God's promise is an abundant and overwhelmingly graciousness from him to us. But that's not all. You know how the TV ads go. And that's not all. And they'll continue on with maybe another item. As if he needed to add anything, and he didn't. He has not left us alone in that we have each other. That's cool. I'm glad for that. And we can lift, we can alleviate, we can console and ease each other's burdens and loads and troubles and cares. The other word in verse 5 is fortion, and it is like an invoice. I know that sounds strange. Or a bill of laden. That might help us a little bit. Like a bill of laden for a delivery driver or a dock worker. Verse 4 is a clue to us, but let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. <clears throat> this is like a reward as I spoke last week. This burden is other than it is like a bill of laden. We get paid when we do well and honor the Lord as we serve him. Or we pay if we do poorly with what is entrusted to us by God. That is our burden to bear. 
a delivery driver or a dock worker may get a bonus <laughs> for doing great quality work and producing above expectations and being honest and trustworthy. He may get a bonus for that. That's his burden. Whereas his pay may be docked for poor, for poor, poor performance and laziness and untrustworthiness. That is why the Apostle Paul wrote using this word that is like a bill of laden as a burden in verse 5. It is ours and it's up to you. By the way, it is not the freight company that pays or rewards <laughs> or docks a paycheck. It's our Lord God. Okay? Now verse 6, and that's where we start today. Here Paul expresses a needful practical and spiritual way to bear another's burdens, referring back to verse 2. These Galatian Christians could and should minister out of their material goods to help those who ministered God's truth to them. It is an apparent, it, it's apparent in this text that they were not communicating, which is koinoneo, or distributing, or maybe sharing with their teachers financially, helping them with their daily physical needs. Here is another letter. I'm sorry. Here, as in other letters by Paul, he lays down the basic biblical and spiritual need for believers financially to support those who are in the gospel ministry. That's not a man-made idea. God made that idea. Paul, Barnabas, and his company had taught Bible truths to the first believers in the province of Galatia, and it was those who had gone to the Bible Institute of Asia Minor, if you will, I don't know what it was called, who were now preaching and teaching in those churches. How, where did their income come from? Well, it was up to the other believers who were learning from them. Second Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2 are important. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So it was to be that those who became the next students were to pay their fair share, if you will. In so doing they would be sharing a burden carried by those who taught Bible truth. Some Bible colleges and seminaries in our day and age, it's incredible how much it costs. Statistics have shown this, that the two groups of professional people in the United States who are usually least compensated for their labor were first ministers and secondly teachers. I think of Dr. Kober and his many years in education and what his education cost him and how he travels and serves in so many ways with Bible conferences and seminars and yet he lives a very meager life. They do. That's very common. Let's go to verse 7 now. Be not deceived. This is not the first time in Galatians that Paul has made this warning, be not deceived. Go to chapter 3, verse 1, where it says this, 
O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? They were foolish because they were as if under a spell by those who taught false doctrine. This is not the first time, but this is certainly a a warning by the Apostle Paul, be not deceived. You know, the great deceiver is the devil himself, isn't he? One of Satan's deceptions is that you and I must do something to earn our salvation. It's a lie. Satan is the father of lies. John 8, 8, uh, in John 8.44, I wonder why many cult leaders, I've wondered about this, why many cult leaders and false Christian preachers get filthy rich and real ministers of the Bible truth struggle to make ends meet. I think of Dr. Kober and his family living so meagerly. Be not deceived. God is not mocked, in verse 7. Does, God is not mocked does not mean that people don't mock God. Sure they do, all the time. <laughs> That's contrary to observation. The whole world around us is engaged in the business of mocking God. He's slandered, yet he's always holy. His name is a curse word. Him and his word are scoffed at and held in irreverence every day. What it means is God will not put up with being mocked. That's what it means. Let's read Psalm 2, verses 1 through 9 as an example. (laughs) There were some in the psalmist days who mocked God, and he wrote about that. Psalm 2 By the way, it is a messianic psalm. In other words, prophetic about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But Psalm 2, verses 1 through 9. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision someday. Of course, they, he will not allow them to be mocking him any longer. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon mine holy hill. That is a reference to the future kingdom of Christ where he'll be on the throne. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. To be sure, the Lord will not be mocked For the day will come when the Lord Jesus will sit on his throne here on earth and every one will give an account. Romans 14, verses 11 and 12. 
good to know to stick, uh, tuck away in the back of your mind. Romans 14, 11 and 12. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. People mock him all the time, but they'll give an account for that. And then verse 7 goes on, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. In this statement, Paul uses illustrative language drawn from what we may call nature. I got to help one Anna in our garden the other day, in the evening after we were done with a lot of business of the day. We have planted peas and tomatoes and cucumbers and squash And I know that they were butter squash seeds because I took my pocket knife out and I cut last year's harvested squash in half and popped the seeds out with my thumbs and let them dry for a little while and then planted them. So I know those are butter squash seeds. (laughs) So I know that when I wrote on that label and put it in the soil, as long as it's not moved, that's what'll come up there. Do you ever wonder when you plant a marigold seed and you don't get, why don't you get an onion? You ever wonder about that? (laughs) I know. That would mean that you have too much time on your hands. (laughs) Have you ever planted a seed that you did not know what it was from? How many of you? Okay, quite a few of us have planted seeds. We didn't know what it was. I guess it's just out of curiosity. What do you do? Well, you wait to see what kind of plant comes up. Maybe you can tell by the leaves or later by the bud or the flower or whatever. You know what it is when you finally see it and you say, oh, that looks like lettuce. Why? Because God designed in the cellular makeup of each seed, each egg, information. The study of DNA in modern times has been a factor in many atheistic scientists becoming theists. That doesn't mean they're born again yet, but they at least have become theists, embracing intelligent design. Names like Stephen Meyer and Anthony Flew, because things in our world in biology and zoology don't just happen by natural selection. They happen by information. Every thinking person knows this. Centuries ago, Aristotle, of all people, answered his own question. Here was his question. Why, if you plant an acorn in the ground, doesn't it produce an elephant? That gives you a little insight into Aristotle. (laughs) anyway because he said he answered his own question every seed contains a tiny element of intelligence now in the spiritual realm it is true as well as it is in the natural realm verse 8 says for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap corruption life everlasting. 
if a person th this may surprise you what the meaning of this verse is so hang, bear with me if a person sows good works and sacraments and rituals and goes on pilgrimages even Old Testament mosaic laws and rites and statutes and circumcision or New Testament water baptism or any other human work performed as a natural physical person it is of the flesh and reaps corruption which is a way of saying decay death judgment and punishment that's what it reaps however if a person sows his or her spirit in, in his or her spirit the seed of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit produces what at the end of verse 8 life everlasting that is sowing to the spirit <laughs> go to Titus with me for just a moment we'll see verses 3 through 7 here there's more to it but Titus 3 3 through 7 for we ourselves are also were sometimes foolish disobedient deceived serving divers lusts and pleasures living in malice and envy hateful and hating one another but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life are you trying to work your way to heaven dear friend so many are trying and try as they might they won't, that won't gain them one millimeter into heaven. The only way is to sow the seed of faith in Jesus Christ alone, who did all the work for you. It isn't a matter of us doing the work. It's a matter that he did the work. And on Calvary's cross, when he shed his sinless blood and physically died there and was buried in the ground for three days on the, and nights, on the third day, he rose again to life bodily. That is sowing to the Spirit, and that is how we reap everlasting life. Our life everlasting is through faith in him. That's sowing to the Spirit. A side note here is we often think of this statement in verse 8. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This is a side note, but we often think of this in the realm of sinful passions, such as sowing to a life of alcoholism, or a life of drug addictions, or a life of immorality or violence, and at the end of that is corruption. That is taught in many religious circles. And it may be true in the sense that alcoholism leads to the physical corruption called cirrhosis of the liver, 
or other fleshly things may lead to prison. And years ago, <laughs> having to face Chuck in prison. <laughs> anyway, but did you know that sin is not what holds someone accountable, what God holds someone accountable for, uh, where we will face corruption in hellfire? Did you know it's not sin that does that? That's not what God holds us accountable for, where we will face corruption in hellfire. So to twist the scriptures to say that sowing to the flesh, doing these earthly things will cause us to go to hell is actually opposed to Bible truth. Why do I say that? I know that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's true. But that's not what keeps a person from heaven. Go to John with me. John 3. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he made it very clear to Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. By the way, that's sowing to the Spirit. Verse 17, For God hath not sent his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he's sinned and done dastardly deeds? What's it say? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's what he holds us accountable for. His faith in his provision for us through Christ. That's what he holds us accountable for. Aren't you glad that when you or I did our first sin that our fate wasn't sealed forever? I'm glad for that. I thank God for the gift of God which was given by his grace through my faith. I thank God that an alcoholic can be saved. I thank God, the Lord God, that a prisoner can be set free from sin, not the cell here on earth, but someday enjoy heaven through faith. How about you? Are you glad for that? I am. Yes, God is in the business of changing people's lives. So now we have, back in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Dear Christian, that's verse 9. Dear Christian, God wants us to invest our lives, our faith, in heaven. If we do not grow weary in well-doing, God promises to give treasure in heaven. Jesus said this in Matthew 6 on the sermon on, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Yes, dear friend, if you're saved, 
you have been created unto good works, Ephesians 2.10, but good works don't save. So sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit are not about works. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yes, it is. The, sowing to the flesh is about trying to do works. Sowing to the spirit is about faith. As we therefore have opportunity, verse 10 says. Do you have opportunity? Or do you think that you have to wait for just the right moment? of opportunity oh no you and I have opportunity every day we do asking God to show you is okay but often he wants us to make an opportunity let me say that again he wants us to make an opportunity to do good unto all men especially unto them who are of the household of faith he wants us to make an opportunity so Let's not be weary in well-doing, dear brother, dear sister. God promises results or reaping if we faint not. We may retire from a secular job, but in God's economy, it's different. While we were in Alaska back in March, Juanetta and I called Arlene blood, and Arlene is in her late 80s. And she was too busy to get together with us because she had two Bible studies on the day we had available. And she had to play the piano at the nursing home. And she made opportunities even though she was in a nursing home. Bless her heart. She didn't retire from ministry. Ministry should go with us all the way to our last breath. It really should. The Janungs and Juanetta and I knew Louis and Bernice Miller pretty well, didn't we? (laughs) Louis, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was suggest that he retire. He wanted to keep physically pounding nails, cutting boards, and compacting ditches. And He had been a church planter, and when he retired from being a pastor, he kept on serving the Lord as a missionary builder alongside the Janungs and us. And he was becoming dangerous to himself and others, and I had to suggest Louis, it's time to retire. So in his 80s, we packed up their stuff in Florida and took them back home to Manning, Iowa. And they were at their house for maybe a year or two, and then they went into the Manning nursing home. And I'd call Louis often every month, or he would call me for years and he would say you know there's a bunch of old people here and they're about to meet their maker so I need to introduce them to who made them and lead them to the Lord in his 90s and they were in their 70s or 80s you know (laughs) these old people here (laughs) it was kind of funny to listen to him talk it'll bring maybe an emotion up for the Janungs but his favorite saying was Keep on keeping on for the Lord. It doesn't matter. You can make the opportunity. God wants you to do that. As we have therefore opportunity, and we do, let us do good unto all men. That doesn't gain us heaven. That sowing to the Spirit is a matter of faith. 
But once we have made that step, he wants us to do good, to serve others, especially those who are of the household of faith. (laughs) Maybe this challenge is for you in various ways. I don't know what it is. But I trust that the Holy Spirit works. If anyone wants me to pray for them about a matter in their lives that is a struggle, I'd love to do that with you. You talk with me after the service, and I will privately commit to you to pray for you. Maybe there's a more important spiritual need than that even, and that would be faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. If any person who is here thinks they have to do something good to get to heaven, you need to talk with me. That's not how it works. That's sowing to the flesh. Let's take a moment and pray together. And I will include praying, thanking the Lord for the meal, which will follow. Everybody's invited to stay for that. And I trust that God uses our time of fellowship together for his glory. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have laid upon the heart of the Apostle Paul and inspired these words that are true. Heavenly Father, I do ask you that the Holy Spirit would have free course in our hearts and that we would give or yield to the Holy Spirit so that changes in our lives may take place that that bring honor and glory to you. Father, do help us to see the opportunities we have, but also guide us in making opportunities to do good to all men. And especially those who are part of the body of Christ, Father, I ask you that you would grow Valley Baptist Church in this way, that we would be a friendly church and a church that helps each other and helps others. But ultimately, the purpose, we realize, focuses on Jesus Christ the only one who can save us from our sins. May we sow to the Spirit in faith that which belongs to you. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time together, and I ask you that in the hour ahead when we enjoy a fellowship meal together, that it would be about your bounty and your provisions and your love for us, and Father God, that Jesus Christ would be honored in our mealtime. Thank you for the people that have brought food and the way you've provided it for each and every one. And Father God, I ask you ultimately that you would you would be worshipped this day in the hours yet ahead of us. And I know Tom would like to be here, Lord, and I ask you that you would heal his lower back and reduce the swelling and the tension on the nerves that are causing the pain. Father, we ask you for that, for Tom and others who have needs. We're not aware of them all, but we ask that you would meet them for your honor and glory and use us to do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand for a closing song, and then we'll set tables up for the fellowship meal. Number 144, day by day. Number 144. Please stand as we sing day by day. 144.
day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wisely stowment, I've no Come on. 